This is Aviation Careers Podcast, an aviation podcast about living your dream and pursuing an exciting aviation career. Your host, Carl Valeri, has over a decade of experience counseling pilots. Aviation Careers Podcast will help you navigate towards your aviation career goal. Here is your host, Carl Valeri. Welcome to the inspirational, informational, and transparent Aviation Careers Podcast. Today, I have a special guest, Stephen Ryan of therotorbreak.com, where you'll read a day-in-the-life type stories from career pilots focusing on helicopters. But a few things before we begin, a few announcements. First of all, if you could, please consider becoming a patron of the show for as little as $1. You can help somebody get a scholarship. Every dollar we raise goes towards giving away a scholarship guide. And you can find that on our web page there and just click on become a patron it's that simple and if you want to get one of those scholarships guides for free click on pay it forward it talks a little bit about how you can do that simple use the pay it forward coupon which is actually created by donors just like the patron account that we have so i really appreciate all the patrons we do have i think it's three or four new scholarships guides that are up there for free using that coupon code uh, pay it forward over 120 million dollars in scholarships a lot of people ask me can I get a scholarship even though I'm finished with college? Of course, there's scholarships for everybody. Uh, the majority, of course, are geared towards those prior to college and, and younger ages, but I'd say about a quarter to 30% are for people that are looking to get into other fields. Maybe you might want to think about getting maybe a, a rating in a helicopter. As a matter of fact, we're going to talk a little bit about that right now. Joining me today is Stephen Ryan again with therotorbreak.com. Stephen, welcome to the show. Thank you, Carl, for having me on. Yeah, I'm really excited about this because we've we've had a lot of folks on that are in the world of flying helicopters. And what you've done is a great job putting together this website that describes the life uh, of, a, of a helicopter pilot through the, the stories of the people that are flying it. But before we talk about that, I'll talk a little bit about your flying career and how you got started and uh, why you are so passionate about helicopter flying. Okay, well, um, I uh, I grew up in Ireland and I uh, grew up in Ireland in the basically the seventies and eighties, and at that that time the only show in town was the Irish Air Corps, and the Irish Air Corps operated uh, the AS three sixty five Dolphins, similar to uh, what the U.S. Coast Guard used now, the Dolphin version. And um, they did everything at the time, search and rescue, uh, law enforcement, uh, army support, Navy, pretty much everything. And so if you saw a helicopter in Ireland at the time, it was a Dauphin. And so for me, it was uh, it was a matter of, uh, I was going to fly helicopters, but it wasn't just going to be any helicopter. It was going to be the Dauphin. So the Dauphin is, uh, tell us a little bit about that as far as some of the flying characteristics for those people that don't know what, what a Dauphin is. Yeah, so it's a uh, it's a medium twin. Um, there's there's a few different versions of it actually. Now there's quite a few, but for the most part, about nine and a half thousand pounds is the max gross weight. Um, it is a single pilot, uh, two pilot in some places, but for the most part, it's single pilot, uh, IFR and VFR. And it was uh, it was built by Aerospatial, now Airbus, mm-hmm. um, and uh, you know it's been used in in coast guards and uh, law enforcement and medevac. Uh, around the world, but uh, yeah, originally uh, came from Aerospatiale in France. And you've actually are now flying in the U.S. and uh, involved in, I think you said, law enforcement. Uh, we're not talking about your employer, but uh, it's actually, a, it's must have been an interesting transition uh, coming to the U.S. And, and getting your licenses. Tell us a little bit about that. 
So what I did was um, there wasn't an awful lot of flight schools in Ireland at the time and certainly none that I could afford. So I left Ireland and went to Australia to do my flight training. Um, and then from Australia, I came to the U.S. And for me, like I said, the, the idea was to eventually fly the, the Dauphine. And the, there's a couple of operators, but for the most part, uh, Maryland State Police at the time was one of just maybe three operators in the U.S. Um, so I pretty much had, um, I won't say an obsession, but a goal in mind to eventually fly the Dauphine. So when I came to uh, the U.S., I went to uh, Hillsborough Aviation in Oregon and got my my conversion there from the Australian license to the U.S. license. And from there on in, it was uh, it was a matter of being a bit of a nomad to build the experience to uh, eventually get the interview and, and get the job with the Maryland State Police to, to fly those Dauphines. So what's it like to fly, say, for law enforcement? I'm sure you're involved in many different aspects of aviation. Yeah, the big thing is, is the variety. You know, we, uh, we do... To be honest, most of what we do, 80%, uh, depending on which base you're at, is um, is medevacs. So we do a lot of the seam medevacs in the state. Um, the inter-hospital transfers then are taken care of by commercial operators. And then the, the other 20% is uh, search and rescue and uh, and law enforcement. And there's no doubt about it. Uh, it's the variety, the excitement of doing something different, not only every day, but uh, you know, from one call to the next. Uh, you can come off a medevac, and, and if you have the fuel available, you could be on a search and rescue or law enforcement mission. So, yeah, it's uh, it's exciting, to be honest with you. And it's not for everybody from that point of view because it's not a um, – there's very little predictability in it. But at the same time, I think most people uh, in the aviation community like the idea of something different, uh, if not every day, maybe even uh, from one week to the next, you know. Speaking of medevac and obviously law enforcement, one of the things that I – I do hear from a lot of people that are, are thinking about going into the field uh, of medevac in uh, law enforcement is the is you know the risks involved. So maybe you could talk a little bit towards that, both the flying environment and also in your case, uh, you know, you might be doing something where there's somebody that might want to harm you. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. Well, from the flying point of view, even um, even where I work now, so they upgraded uh, in 2013 from the. Uh, from the Dauphine to the AW139. And one of those reasons was was simply the safety. You know, the, the aircraft is much more powerful, much more capable. Uh, we carry a lot more equipment, not just for mission equipment, but also we carry, um, you know, we do night vision goggles. We're fully IFR now, and we've got uh, two pilots instead of one. Um, but one of the th- things as well is just from the law enforcement point of view, we can now do our, our law enforcement from a lot higher altitude. With the, with the Dauphine and the older cameras we used to use, we would have to do it from maybe a thousand feet, and now we can easily do it from two and three, uh, and even higher. So from that point of view, it's a lot safer. And then again, with the with the medevac, it's the same thing. Different equipment, of course. The fact that we can now use uh, we're using two pilots, uh, in fact, and two paramedics. So it's a four man crew, and all four of us are on NVGs, and uh, we're out there landing in the in the wire environment, in the trees, uh, and the rest of the obstructions on highways, um, with four people on NVGs. And so from an equipment point of view, we're a lot safer than we used to be. Um, and then from, from a flying point of view, you know, we, we do a, uh, crew, a crew brief at the beginning of every shift, right? So every uh, 7 a.m. or 7 p.m. when we start our shift. But we also do a brief at the end of every mission as well. And the idea is, you know, nobody's immune from uh, not necessarily criticism, but a critique of uh, what we did and what we could have done better. And so the idea is if we can learn something from every mission, then, you know, we can make ourselves safer. It's, it's a risky environment as it is. So, 
Sounds like a challenge, too, that you must enjoy is being able to learn uh, almost every month that you're out there flying the line. Yep, there's always something new. Yeah, there's no <laughs> doubt about that. Yeah, that's uh, so that's interesting. The new technologies have actually made things safer. It's made safer in all different areas of aviation. Uh, and, and that's a great example of how it's made it, it safer and what you do, too. Let's talk a little bit about the rotor brake. Uh, the website, therotorbrake.com. How did you come up with this idea and why did you make this? So um, the idea behind the rotor brake is I, I love what I do, right? And I love where I'm working right now, but I won't stay here forever, to be honest with you. Um, I, I feel like that, that saying, uh, I didn't come this far to only come this far. And so one of the things I want to do is, um, well, I want to do more flying. I want to do something like firefighting. Um, I have a few friends who do uh, aerial hoists to uh, offshore wind farms, that kind of stuff. So just something completely different. Um, and when I was looking into information about firefighting, you know, you can call any HR department or chief pilot for that matter, and you'll certainly find all the, the details as far as, you know, uh, the hours, the schedule, the benefits, the pay, all that kind of stuff. But the kind of information I was looking for was the kind of information that you would get from, say, networking, right? Now, networking is, is a powerful tool, but it's, it's not always easily accessible. Maybe not for everybody. It's, it's easier for some than others. So what I wanted was a, a place where people, both pilots and flight crew, rear crew, could enter um, just what they do on a day-to-day basis with no particular format. I didn't want to do a question and answer format. I just wanted to have an open format and, uh, and let people, you know, put their information out there. And so, um, for example, with fires, you know, there's, there's type one, type two, and type three helicopters. There's cope and needed, there's exclusive use. Uh, and then there's everything that goes on in between, you know, in the, the 12 day shifts, uh, or less, some of them are you seven day shifts. So, um, if you wanted to get that kind of information, it's hard to get it. And so I wanted somewhere that people could just write literally in their own words what their day is like. And that was the idea behind the water break. And I have to say you've done a great job. I really enjoy the stories. I appreciate that. There, I mean, there's, and I'll let you say it, but one of the things I think is really cool is that there are stories of helicopter pilots throughout the world uh, where they are similar, they're, they are different through the nuances of the countries that they fly in and the type of flying they do, uh, from Africa to the U.S. to Australia uh, to, uh, I'm sure, like Canada, I think it is. There, there's uh, some really, and it's growing, and I think that's really, really cool. And these are in writing, which is great because can, people can go and look at it while they're you know, in a, in a car or they're, they're sitting as a passenger or in an airplane, which is kind of really terrific what, what you've done with this. So with that said, what other things did I not touch on as far as what type of stories we can find there? Um, so, so what I started off with, I, I did one of the first blog posts and the idea was um, kind of proof of concept, right? If I can do it and, you know, I'm no journalist, if I can do it, anybody can do it. Um, and so you have to put yourself out there if you want to ask other people to put themselves out there. So what I thought of first was, you know, my concept was, hey, if you do a 12-hour shift, you start at 7, you finish at 7, just list all the things you do in between and we'll go from there. And then I started getting people um, sending in stories that were like, well, this is a day in the life, but it is, uh, it's a ferry flight and it kind of took me three weeks, but it is a typical kind of thing I do. So people have a different take, I guess, on, on a day in the life. So I started uh, including those stories. And then I started getting career stories. So people wanted to include their day in the life, but they also wanted to include the story of how they got there in the first place, how they got to, say, the last paragraph is their actual day in the life. 
And so what I have now is, uh, yeah, I've got a day in the life category. And then I have what I call the how did I get here uh, category. Um, and essentially that is is people telling their stories of uh, how they got from uh, or from maybe before flight school to where they are now. And, and it's kind of more, most of it is, is pretty inspirational, to be honest with you. Yeah, quite inspirational, you know, learning how to be an EMS pilot, learning uh, exactly, you know, what they've done in their lives. And many times it has nothing to do with aviation. It has to do with themselves and how they overcame some of the challenges in life. And I think that's what's really cool about it. Yep, absolutely. I've, uh, you know, I've got plenty of examples, but one in particular of a, uh, a helicopter pilot in Canada. And, uh, you know, he, he found himself unemployed at 38 years old. And I see it on Facebook all the time. Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm in my 30s or I'm in my 40s. Is it too late to start flight training? And, uh, and this one story um, would tell you, no, it's never too late. Yeah, I know. It's, uh, it's actually one of the, that's the biggest question we get here at the podcast is uh, the fact that, hey, is it too late? No, it's never too late to start yeah. something. It, you just have to understand the, the boundaries. If you're starting at 60, it, you may not have as long, you know, to, to fly the, the helicopter. But real, that's really cool that you do that. I think this is awesome. Um, speaking of that, you know, that you touched on that, you know, here I am. Is it too late? And things the way they are, you know, I'm unemployed. I'm looking for something. Um, you know, how, how have things changed since, you know, this, uh, we have this challenge in the industry right now, uh, we've been through a couple challenges. Um, how are things changing in the helicopter industry? So it's interesting because, you know, there's no doubt about it. There's some big companies now that have laid off, um, a lot of, a lot of pilots and it's certainly it's, it's big news in the, in the airline industry. Um, and in the helicopter industry, it's happening as well. It's just not perhaps making, uh, making the headlines. Um, but at the same time, you know, I'm pretty good about keeping an eye on the job websites. I like to know what's going on where, not because I want a job, but because I just like to know who's operating, what type of helicopters for the most part. And there's a lot of jobs out there. There's still plenty of jobs, like EMS jobs. There's so many of them. And it might be a time, and this won't last forever, but there might be a time right now where you have to take a job out of state and work seven on, seven off, and have to travel a little bit to do it um, if you want to stay in the in the, in the the industry. There's uh, There's stipends that that these companies are paying for people to go to these, you know, further away bases. I know New Mexico and Arizona has some of these outlier bases that they're paying a lot for. They're offering off-duty housing. Um, and then look at the fire industry. I mean, this is an unbelievable year for fire and it's only going to get, it's only going to get bigger every year. There's no doubt about it. And in fact, a lot of the U S companies now are going internationally over the last couple of years. So as far as aviation is concerned, it's, uh, it's looking up, I think, um, and it might be hard to see that right now if you're one of the guys who just got laid off. But if you want to stay in the industry, I think there's, there is opportunities out there. You know, to back that up, interestingly, uh, some of my clients that I coach are wanting to transition from helicopters in the military to fixed wing and fly for the airlines. And the jobs that some of them are getting, uh, actually all of them are getting, is in helicopters. Because those are the jobs that pay the most because of the fact that they're looking at a job that is similar to what they did in the military, if they start over in fixed wing, they're going to be making nothing, you know, like $20,000 a year as a flight instructor, $30,000 a year, whereas they can make a really good living uh, in EMS. It's funny you said that because that's been, uh, from my experience with my clients, that has been one of the biggest sources of jobs and job growth. Yeah. And, you know, the, the Kiowa Warrior, which is essentially a 407, uh, 407 is a very popular EMS aircraft. And then um, 
the uh, the Chinook and the Blackhawk. I mean, a few years ago, the uh, the U.S. military decommissioned a lot of Chinooks and Blackhawks, and they were bought up by a lot of operators and convert them to uh, to firefighting aircraft. And there's lots of them now. So coming out of the military, um, if certainly if you if you can no longer get a job in the fixed wing side of things, there would be opportunities for them if they have you know Kiowa Warrior or uh, or Chinook or Blackhawk time. Let's shift gears a little bit, Stephen. I, I want to talk towards those people that are interested in maybe getting into aviation uh, for the first time, and they're not interested in flying with the airlines and they want to fly helicopters. Uh, that person is starting from ground zero. What will they get from this website? So, you know, there's, there's plenty of stories on there. So, for example, if I, when I was doing my flight training, if I could have read some of these stories, um, you can kind of almost follow the footsteps of some of these people and tailor your career. So I won't say I wasted any time necessarily. Um, every, every job I had, every aircraft I flew is, is another tool in the toolbox, right? So it, it's still worthwhile. But I could have expedited my way towards a specific goal if I hadn't known how to get there. And so um, if you're a student and you are interested in some adventure, you know, I would never have known that you can come from the U.S. and you could do a, an anti-poaching contract in Africa, right? But it's possible. I wouldn't have known it until right now, literally last few months since I got to, I have at least two stories now from Africa on that uh, subject. Um, so from that point of view, and then also the other thing is this has made it, at least for me, made people a lot more approachable. Um, you can contact me. You can contact most of the authors of these stories because they're not journalists writing magazines or papers. They're just pilots who are willing to share their story on the internet and for the most part willing to share their story in person, whether it's via email or a phone call. So you can, you know, you can contact these people or myself and and kind of get the nitty-gritty and, and follow in the footsteps of these people. As a matter of fact, Stephen, maybe we'll have some of them on the podcast here so they can talk a little bit about their stories and and re- refer to the rotor break. I think there's a great uh, articles that you have here. I do have one question on the on the logo for the website. I was trying to figure out. Uh, it's a helicopter rescuing people out of a big coffee yeah. cup. How did you come up with that? Yeah, exactly. So, um, so the rotor brake. So the most aircraft, and in fact, it's an option on a lot of aircraft, but most aircraft have them have a rotor brake. So once you shut the engine down, or both engines for that matter, uh, at a certain uh, rotor RPM, you pull the rotor brake, and that just stops the main rotor from turning because. At a, a low speed, um, there's the possibility that it would hit the tail boom, especially in windy conditions. So you have a rotor brake. And of course, it's uh, B-R-A-K-E because it's a brake. The idea behind my website is, like you mentioned, it's something you can read while on your phone while you're sitting uh, having a coffee or certainly you're at the airport or you're hanging out. So the segue, I guess, was a like a coffee break, B-R-E-A-K. So I figured that rotor brake would make sense. It kind of means two different things. Yeah, that is cool. I love how you did that. And uh, one of the things that I think a lot of people don't realize is that that rotor brake is on the on the helicopter. Because that's the first thing I saw is like, hey, what is a rotor brake? Oh, I know what that is. But right. how about other people? The other cool thing that you do, and I love, is the pictures uh, on your Instagram account. Uh, and that you can find those at Instagram.com uh, slash the rotor brake. Uh, really neat. Uh, all the things you just talked about. Uh, pictures from inside the cockpit landing in these remote areas and landing out at sea and um, near wind farms uh, going and, and trying to interdict with poachers. And there's one with zebras. That's really cool. I think it's awesome. Yeah. You know, I tell all the authors that, uh, that I approach or that, that approach me for that matter, 
you know, we uh, as helicopter pilots, we got a pretty short attention span, so include lots of good pictures, and they do. And so, uh, <laughs> the model it works. <laughs> I love that. You know, on that website, though, I think one of the things that I really, really appreciate is there's a section. Uh, it's called your resources section, and in there, well, I'll let you tell us a little bit about what you have in those resources. So I have, to be honest with you, right now I just have one thing that I that I found it difficult to find, believe it or not. Even in my research just for the article, I found it difficult. I wanted to find a place where I could list some of my favorite books. And in fact, since I wrote that, uh, there's a lot more books have come up because people have told me about other ones. But um, So I put down 16 of the best helicopter books that I've come across. Uh, some of them are classics. Some of them are new. Um, quite a few of them I had never heard of before until I started doing research. And you put a, a, a search in Google or Amazon and, and it's hard to find them. So uh, in fact, I think I need to expand it. I need to do more. And the more, more suggestions I get, the, uh, the bigger I'll make it. Yeah, please do. I mean, there's some really, really cool stuff out there. And um, one thing that I really think is cool is that these guys have talked about uh, their life as a helicopter pilot. And obviously, we've had a few on the show, and we'd like to make sure that more and more people have this resource. So definitely go to the rotorbreak.com and check out the resources page. I think right now it's up to, what do you have, 16 best books for helicopter pilots. doesn't only describe stories. I think the other thing that I liked is at the bottom of that page, it had some resources. So if you want to learn how to fly, you want to learn how to fly helicopters, there's obviously the Helicopter Flying Handbook. Um, but there's there's many different organizations out there, too, uh, as far as helicopters are concerned. So if somebody is interested in doing this, what type of organizations would you suggest that people can join maybe to network or to understand the career better? You know, LinkedIn is very powerful. And once you get started on LinkedIn, uh, it's a professional network like it advertises itself and uh, and people are professional on there. And if you ask a question, if you ask somebody directly a question, you'd be surprised people would answer back. You know, people want to help each other on LinkedIn. So for me, LinkedIn is huge as a, as a, uh, as a networking point of view. Um, Facebook is cool for pictures and, uh, and some stories, as is uh, Instagram. But link- LinkedIn is, is your friend as far as networking is concerned. Um, and then, you know, this is not necessarily for, uh, for networking point of view, but you know, I use air assurance. I check the, uh, air assurance articles. Uh, what they do is they take incidents and accidents from like the NT- NTSB and worldwide for that matter. And they, they summarize them and it's a really good read. And you know, when you talk about, uh, we do our pre-shift brief and then after every flight, we do a brief. This is the kind of thing that people need to be talking about all the time. You know, the incidents and accidents that, you can learn lessons from without having to be the one involved in the incident or accident, right? Right. No, gosh, we can learn from the mistakes of others. And I think that's very, very important. So we'll have the link to that, by the way, in the show notes, obviously, along with the rotor break uh, down below. Another question for you. Do you really like your job still? Uh, I love it. Uh, there's no doubt about it. I, I could stay in this particular job. I could stay with this agency for a long time. Um, I love flying the AW139. It's an absolutely beautiful aircraft. But I've said that about every aircraft I've flown. <laughs> it's funny, actually. I have um, When I started flight training in, in Australia, I had this instructor. I remember asking him. He was an ex-Vietnam uh, era pilot from the Australian Army. I remember asking him what was his favorite, uh, his favorite helicopter. And he's like, well, it depends. It depends on what I'm doing. And I thought, yeah, but what's your favorite helicopter? And he's like, well, no, no, it, it really depends. 
And, you know, that stayed with me for a long time. And now I'm at the point that every helicopter I fly is my favorite helicopter. And so uh, it really does depend. It depends on what you're doing. So, yeah, right now I love what I'm doing. There's no doubt about it. But I I do want more experiences. And there's a few things out there that I would uh, I would love to do. Um, and so, yeah, I'm not I'm not done yet. That's the cool thing about the job. There are so many different types of jobs you can go to from one thing to the next. Um, now, the people that are kind of deciding between like an airline and a helicopter job, a lot of folks don't like the airlines because they're beholden to the seniority list. Is that something similar that happens in the uh, helicopter world? Uh, yes, actually it is. Um, but not where I am. It, you know, some of the, um, some of the Gulf of Mexico companies, uh, the oil and gas support companies have pretty powerful unions. And, uh, and yeah, it's a seniority thing. I believe it's best qualified and then most senior. Uh, gotcha. And I forget in which order actually, which is very important, but that's, that's not the case where I am. Um, where I am here, it's no doubt about it. It's the, uh, it's the most qualified. Gotcha. Um, gotcha. So that includes your, your upgrade from uh, second in command to pilot in command and then pilot in command to instructor. Um, and we have a couple of different levels of instructor where I am as well. So yeah, it's all based on, uh, on your ability and your merit and your skills. Do most people build hours in the helicopter by being instructors like they do with fixed wing? Uh, in the US, yes. So w- when I went to Australia, it was the other way around. In Australia, at least at the time anyways, um, it was kind of um, an end of career thing. It was like, hey, I've, I've traveled the world. I've flown all these helicopters. I just want a 8 a.m. to 3 p.m. job. You know, I don't want to be home every night. So at the end of your career, which are 10 or 20,000 hours, whatever you got, you become an instructor. In the U.S., of course, it's different. And, and yeah, it's the same thing for helicopters as it is for airplanes. Um, you get your license. Uh, you qualify as a CFI. And, uh, and yeah, you're, uh, you're getting students. I remember my first few students. Uh, in fact, the reason I remember them is because most of them are now chief pilots and director of operations in, in different places. But, yeah, it's, um, it's not an ideal situation. But, yeah, that's how you build your hours, right, for the most part. When you were looking at becoming a helicopter pilot, you mentioned Australia. What are the countries where it's, I guess, the easiest to access uh, training for helicopters and also uh, from a cost perspective, which is the best to go to? Um, so for me at the time, and I think it's, it's true now as well, um, Australia, Canada, and the U.S. You know, if you can organize student visas, and, and most of the big schools will, will help you with that, um, they're the easiest, easiest place to get. And then they're also the easiest to convert. So once you have a license in one of those three countries, it's easier to go elsewhere. So when I was, um, when I was working for CHC Global, you know, they'd send us around the world on different contracts and, um, they would convert our license for us for the most part. Um, you know, we'd have to do a check ride, but they do most of the paperwork and, and organize everything for us and having a U.S. ATP made life very simple. Um, so yeah, U.S., Canada, and, uh, and Australia, and then of course the European one is is accepted worldwide for the most part, but it's expensive to get. Gotcha. Well, guys, these things that you that we're talking about, by the way, you can hear a lot about people's journeys through their training and also their career development and the challenges they had and the enjoyment just by going to therotorbreak.com, uh, which uh, Stephen, I'm so glad that you've put this together because it is a wonderful resource. And for those people that are listening and thinking about getting into helicopters or have a passion for helicopters, even if it's, even if you're not interested in flying them, it's a great, I think, resource. It's fun to listen to a day in the life, isn't it, Stephen? Yep. I I appreciate you saying that. And you know what? There's a a surprising amount of followers um, 
that aren't pilots. They might know one or they might just be somewhat interested in aviation, but just to read the stories. And in fact, especially the the um, the ones that are kind of motivational, it, it doesn't matter what the career is, right? It's the motivation. It's the story. It's what people are interested in. Yeah, that's for sure. So what's next for the rotor break? So for the rotor break, I want, uh, you know, I just want more of the same. I, I could easily get, uh, I don't know, 10 pilots who work for the same company and get 10 very different day in the life stories, right? But what I want to do is I want to get a day in the life story from as many corners of the industry as I possibly can. Um, and if that means, in fact, I just published a day in the life from a wind farm hoisting pilot. He, uh, he hoists people, he flies the aircraft, but they bring people out to wind farms in Germany. And uh, I've been contacted by another company who want another um, pilot who wants to do the same thing. So, and I know those stories will be very different. So yeah, just uh, I want to do as many different uh, corners of the industry as we possibly can get. Well, I'm really excited to hear more of those stories. And obviously, it's going to grow. And I think it is very inspirational and very educational. And it's something that is a great resource for people that are in all levels of uh, decision whether to get into aviation in the helicopter world or if you're just interested in it. So great stuff. Steve, is there anything else that uh, you want to say about the uh, about the website or about yourself and your career before we move on? You know, uh, that's pretty much it. Like I said, um, I was talking about networking, but you can reach out to me. I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, the the Road Break has its own page on LinkedIn. And uh, if I can't answer questions, uh, I'll, I can maybe find somebody who can. But if, if you're interested in, in helicopters uh, as a career, then um, I'm willing to help, you know. That's that's what makes the world go around. So, well, Stephen, hopefully if we get enough questions, would you mind coming back on to answer some of them? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> no problem whatsoever. Awesome, awesome. Well, I really appreciate your being here. Again, go to therotorbreak.com. Check out all the different articles that are out there. They're inspirational. They're very informative. And it'll help you learn about the career field of helicopters, but also about the life of a helicopter pilot and the different things you may not have heard of, uh, like, you know, trying to hunt poachers, going out on uh, EMS. What is, what's an EMS pilot do? Those type of things. It's a really great resource. There's also a great spot in there of specific resources for helicopter pilots or people that want to read stories about helicopter pilots. But folks, I I really appreciate you listening. One thing I really want you to do is if you're somebody that's listening right now, maybe you're not interested in becoming a helicopter pilot, but I really, I would encourage you to go out and look at the website, therotorbreak.com, because there's something on there that actually might inspire you, or you may find some information to help your friends that are thinking about a career in helicopter flying, or just want to fly helicopters even recreationally. But the most important thing when you turn this podcast off is not to stop here, is to take that step to move forward in your career and your flying life. So please take one step today to move forward in your career and your flying life. Well, we'll talk to you next episode. Safe flying out there. You have been listening to Aviation Careers Podcast, an aviation podcast about living your dream and pursuing an exciting aviation career. This aviation podcast is produced by the Valeri Aviation Corporation. Although host or guests may receive compensation for products and services discussed in this podcast, compensation never influences our opinion. Before purchasing any product or service, you should always do your own research. Music by Billy Wheeler. All rights reserved.